Genesis chapter 9, we're going to continue uh, looking at God's covenant with Noah. Uh, God's covenant with Noah. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. Uh, as we look in this passage, we return to the far-reaching implications of God's covenant with Noah. And uh, we learned last week the first aspect of this covenant, that God made a covenant with the earth and with the creation at large. And uh, he said in verse 21 of chapter 8, The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now we've witnessed a lot of floods in our lives. We've never seen a flood like this one was. And, uh, uh, but it showed the tremendous destruction that was unleashed on this planet uh, when God turned those waters loose. Uh, it changed everything about the world. Second uh, Peter told us that in Second Peter chapter three, uh, that uh, people are willingly ignorant uh, of the flat fact that the world that then was, the world that then was being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and earth which are now, that is the, the, the world we live in today, changed uh, with the flood. Now that's what Second Peter chapter three tells us. Now, when God looked down at the evil and the sin that resided in the hearts of men and the fact that people were enjoying incredibly long lives, I mean, they routinely lived 800, 900 years, uh, the stage was set for depravity on an unimaginable scale. We, only God knows what people would have done if they'd had smartphones and the Internet back then. I mean, we can only imagine uh, but they lived a long, long time, and their hearts, God said, were on evil continually from their youth. But God appointed that day of His judgment in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, when He said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that is also flesh, yet His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And God appointed a day, a time, in which His judgment was going to be unleashed on the world. And though we have that promise that we see in Noah's covenant with the earth, uh, still uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 31 tells us that God has appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and that He hath raised from the dead, uh, raised Him from the dead. Now God has appointed a day. Now, no man, Jesus told us, knows the day nor the hour. We don't know, but we do know it's coming. It's coming. After Noah had witnessed that time of cataclysmic judgment, he went out and built an altar and offered a sacrifice. And that prompted then uh, God to begin to speak of the second aspect of the covenant uh, with Noah, and that was the covenant uh, with humanity, the covenant with humanity. This is a unique covenant in that it is an unconditional covenant. It was made, in a sense, with all flesh because God promised uh, some things not only regarding humanity but also the animals of all 
flesh, he said, uh, that he would not destroy the earth or destroy all the flesh uh, like he had done in the flood again. So uh, the rainbow then, giving us a covenant, we'll see that at the end uh, of this series here in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, immediately we'll notice then that with the flood, God reiterated his blessing on humanity. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, God created man in his own image. In his image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God bless them. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, God bless Noah and his sons. God bless them. God renewed that blessedness on humanity. And he expressed that blessedness in the way that we're going to discuss tonight when he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. When I told Nancy this afternoon what I was going to preach on tonight, uh, she simply said, well, I can't go, but I have done my part. I did. <clears throat> uh, we had five kids, in case you didn't know, and uh, um, we had five I said, well, honey, we could have had some more. And she said, no, we couldn't. No, no. Well, I did my part. Of all the things that God could have mentioned first, he mentioned this one. God blessed them. And he expressed that blessing as he spoke to them and told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Seems like every time I preach on this, somebody asks me, so I'm just going to jump in here tonight and do this preemptively. Somebody asked me, why didn't it say God bless Noah and his sons and his daughters-in-law? I can't explain that. After all, they were the one that was going <laughs> to have to bring those babies into the world. It's not like those guys could uh, replenish the earth on their own. I, don't, I can't explain it. I just, all, all I can tell you is that when God blessed Noah and his sons, that also included his wife and uh, the boys' wives. It included, God's blessings on them would have included them. That's all I can say. It's just understood that they were included in humanity. And he then speaks of his blessedness on humanity. Now, we're going to discuss some things tonight, and, and it's not going to be easy, any easier for me to, to preach it than it is going to be for you to listen to it. But, uh, uh, folks, these are things that are biblical and scriptural, and I'll be as discreet as I can. Uh, but uh, I'm afraid sometimes that our pulpits have been entirely too silent on these issues because the world at large certainly is not. They're certainly not being silent. And so we're going to draw out of this a couple of principles tonight. And the first one is, is that if somehow we've got it in our minds that, uh, that sex is bad or wrong or that the Bible is against it, this passage alone should teach us otherwise. God blessed them. And the first aspect of that blessedness that he has restored on humanity then was the blessing uh, of something unique to humanity, and that is the ability of a man and woman to love each other 
to marry and to enjoy intimacy that leads to children. It's right here in the passage. It's very plain, very straightforward. Now, it's absolutely true that other living things reproduce. I've heard and read and even looked it up again this week that doves, for example, uh, choose a mate for life, and they stay together that way. And there are other animals, I think, that do the same. But uh, when a man and woman meet and fall in love and marry, the Bible says they too become one flesh, and Jesus went further then to announce this upon that marriage when he said, What God therefore hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so in the blessings of God then, humanity enjoys that ability to love, for a man and woman to, to love each other, to marry and then enjoy that intimacy that leads to children. I'll say right up front, not all couples are blessed that way. And if you were not able to have children, that does not mean that you're under the curse of God or the judgment of God. It simply means that God had something else in mind for you. And don't take that as being a curse or anything else. It's not. In this broad, though covenantal blessing on humanity, God has provided something unique for those created in His image. And that's something that is unique, is that a child will be produced that is not only the image of its parents, bearing their image. We say that all the time, don't we? He looks just like your dad. He looks just like his mom. We say it all. Oh, she, she, sorry, she looks just like his mom. Sometimes it's not very complimentary. You're just like your father. <laughs> um, but there's more to it. Because in God's blessing, the child that is born is also born in God's image. That child conceived as a unique person. And that personhood or personality involves or includes the soul or the spirit... And that spirit will never, ever die, no matter what. That spirit will never die. And therefore, when God created man in his image and in his likeness and gave us then the ability to reproduce others who would be in the image and likeness of God, this makes us unique. And this blessedness that God brought on humanity is a very special thing. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now there was a preacher, a very popular preacher in our own state a few years ago. If I called his name, you'd know who it was, and some of you will figure it out anyway because you remember. Uh, but a very popular preacher in our own state several years ago made national news because he taught that life begins when a baby breathes its first breath, and he quoted Genesis 2-7 in order to substantiate that theory. It's very famous, very popular, uh, about 20 years ago. I want to say tonight that though that man was a good man, and I respect him, I strongly disagree with his thinking. I'll give you a couple of passages. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I this? That is, if, it's, if this is God's blessings on me, why does it hurt so bad? It's a good question. 
And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manners of people. You see that? Two manners of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. What God basically told them was that two brothers are in you. You're going to have twins. Uh, these boys ain't going to get along real well in life, and they're just getting a head start on it right now. That's exactly what he said. Uh, personality was in evidence before those babies were ever born. It's also true of John the Baptist. Remember Luke chapter 1 and verse 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb. For what? Joy. Well, a baby in the womb can feel joy. How do I know it? The Bible says it. The Bible says so. John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb. Already feeling emotions. Already showing forth personality traits. In the womb. In the womb. So among all of God's creation, then man and woman can come together as man and wife and produce a child so that two spiritual beings produce a spiritual being. Man is eternal. Nothing else is. Unlike all of the all the rest of the creation, dogs, all the other animals, plant life. None of them enjoy eternity. Only man, only humanity is eternal. Now sin is stained and marked this process, obviously, so that the sin nature is also passed along from father to child. We, under, we understand that. Yet God in His grace and blessing still calls this a great blessing on humanity, the blessedness of reproduction. God bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I don't believe, as many do, I acknowledge that many do, that this passage prohibits the use of contraceptives. I do, however, believe that once life has been conceived in the womb, it should be cherished as the blessing of God that it is. It should be protected. And we could say a couple of quick things. Don't kill it. Don't destroy it. After it's born, take care of it. And remember dads, dads were commanded by God, raise your children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Dads have a role to play in this too. So when we think about it, first of all, then we see that this blessedness of reproduction, the whole idea of sexual intimacy within marriage was created and designed by God, and God calls it a blessing. And it is a blessing. The psalmist said the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's a reward. It is God's reward to us. A blessing to us that he brings on humanity at large. The second thing that we see then is that this has to do with God's divine design of male and female. Now, when I decided to preach on God's covenant with Noah, I had not yet learned about H.R. Uh, uh, 5. H.R. 5 is a, a bill, a piece of legislation that's pending before the United States House of Representatives right now. If you don't know about it, look it up, Google it, H.R. 5. You can find it real quick, and you'll see what's being proposed for the future of our country. 
I had no idea that, it would cut, that this message, I'd be preaching it on the heels of what happened in Canada last week uh, when a federal judge uh, passed down a ruling uh, that uh, literally threatened to remove a child from his parents' custody if they did not allow that child to go through hormone replacement therapy that would effectively uh, cause their gender to be changed, that child's gender to be changed. I didn't know that. I did know when I was began to preach or began to plan for this message, I, I did know that uh, I was going to have to talk about the whole issue of being male and female. And that's something that 10 years ago I never dreamed that I'd have to do. But here we are, and it's time for us to talk about it. When God first pronounced this blessing to be fruitful and multiply, it was prompted by the fact that God had made man in his own image. And he said that in Genesis chapter 2, male and female uh, created he them. Jesus affirmed that in Matthew chapter 19. And, and verse 4, have you not read when they came to him asking about divorce? He said, have you not read in the law that he which made them, made them in the community male and female? And uh, so that was God's design. There is a medical condition that affects a small number of people in humanity. It's known as gender ambiguity. It also has many other names. Um, at conception, the chromosome of the mother is called an X chromosome, and the chromosome from the father then can either be an X chromosome or a Y chromosome. If at conception the X of the mother combines with the X of the father, the result is called XX. That means you're going to have a little baby girl, XX. If it is uh, a Y from the father, then it is XY, and you're going to have a little bouncing baby boy, XX, XY. That's the way it works. Anybody can have a blood test right now, and it's going to come back XX or XY. It's just the way it is. That's simple biology. But sometimes, like many other things that are congenital in nature, for reasons that we can't always explain, the process gets mess messed up. And it results then in physical gender ambiguity. It happens. It's real. It is a congenital problem. It doesn't happen often. It's very rare. But it does happen. If you want to learn more about it, look up gender ambiguity. But be careful, because there's no telling, I'm serious, no telling what's going to come up when you look it up. So just be careful. But it is a medical condition. It does happen. I believe Jesus was talking about that very thing in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 12. Remember when the disciples came to him and asked him about divorce? And he said, uh, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That was his control, his conclusion. And the disciples came to him after that and said, Lord, if this is so, if that's the truth, if a man can't divorce his wife like forever, then it'd be better for us not to marry. That's what they said. Read it for yourself. And Jesus responded then to them and said this. He said that not everybody can receive this. 
Uh, that is, that that teaching is not intended for everybody. And he gave this simple expression. He said, there are some men who are eunuchs from their mother's womb. Now, others may disagree with me, but I think what Jesus is describing, at least in part, is what happens when a baby is born with gender ambiguity. Now, I want to say right quick that we have not always been very kind to people who suffer with this malady. In fact, we've been downright cruel to them. And by we, I'm talking about humanity at large. But Christianity is as well. We haven't thought about it very much. We don't like to talk about it. Um, but the fact is that it does exist. And the fact that it exists is being used by those on the other side of things, those who do not believe the Bible and who don't like being Christian and don't like what we stand for, don't agree with us. It is being used to describe a state of general insensitivity on the part of Christian people, especially on churches. And I'd have to say that at least in part, maybe sometimes we haven't always been as sensitive and as compassionate about this problem as we should have. But things have changed. If you're not aware that they've changed, you need to be aware because social scientists and medical community has pretty much decided today that gender has nothing to do with our physical characteristics, our physiology. And that gender, quote unquote, is all in your head. And it's determined by social pressure. Determines whether you're male or female. I want to say tonight that that idea is completely contrary to what the Bible says. That God, as a general rule, that God has created mankind male and female. After all, it is God who put this process together. We didn't invent it. We didn't come up with the plan. We did not make ourselves. Uh, God made us. Had we invented ourselves and had we invented this whole process of, of gender, had we done all of this ourselves, then we might uh, be justified in trying to change it all. But we didn't invent it. God did. God did. <clears throat> and the fact that this rare condition exists does not justify a behavior that the Bible clearly condemns as being against nature against nature. Romans chapter 1 and verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. This passage does not teach that God calls this sin. It does teach that since men did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that part of God's judgment was He let them do what they wanted. That's exactly what the passage says. God gave them up. God gave them up unto vile affections. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, in those immortal words, uh, the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man 
And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. In Hebrew, by the way, man is ish, I-S-H. A woman is isha, isha. Out of man, from man. Man was made out of dirt. That's what the Bible says. Out of the dust of the earth, God took the clay, fashioned a man, breathed the breath of life in him, and he became a living soul. Woman was made from man. That's what the Bible says. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The command to be fruitful and multiply is exclusively a male and female phenomenon. God designed it that way. It is God's blessings on humanity for men and women to meet, to marry, and in His blessings and purposes, conceive children and replenish the earth. Now, I, I really thought long and hard about whether or not I was going to say this or not, and I've decided I'm going to say it. You know, part of the in reading and researching for this message this week, I, I learned that the uh, uh, population rate uh, reproductive rate in America has fallen below two, and it's been going down for a number of years. Uh, what that means, as a general rule, it's already happened in developed countries like Europe and other places. Now it's happened in America uh, that uh, we're getting to the place where we're not uh, repopulating ourselves. We're not replenishing ourselves. That's, that's an interesting thing. Uh, I'm not telling you that you need to have more kids, but... Uh, I could tell you that. <laughs> uh, I used to say it all the time when Nancy and I were having all of our kids, you know, hey, I, I believe in building churches one way or the other. <laughs> I, I like to see people born again, but I like to see people born too. That's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Have more babies. I like it. I like having babies around. We've done our part. Now my kids are picking up the mantle. I, I like that too. I like having grandkids around. Aren't they special? It's quite a what a great, great blessing. I'm going to close by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in this, uh, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version just because it reads very easily. It's easy to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, ESV for short. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have the authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The Bible clearly presents human sexuality as a blessing from God designed to function within the covenant marriage. The Bible doesn't say, does not say, don't have sex. The Bible doesn't say sex is bad. 
Sex is evil. Within marriage, where God designed it, God presents it as a precious blessing. Not only does the Bible not say that we shouldn't have sex, the Bible says to married people, don't stop having sex. Right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Unless you need to have more prayer time. Unless you want to have more prayer time. Now it's also careful to point out that if a person doesn't have that desire, doesn't have it anymore, that's not a sinful thing or a bad thing. It just happens as we get older, I understand. But God's blessing on humanity is the blessing of male and female in relationship, in marriage, loving one another, able to enjoy one another in conjugal fulfillment and in reproduction as God blesses. Now, I've tried my best tonight to present this message very factually and uh, as much as I could very matter-of-factly. Just to say what the Bible says, not with a lot of editorializing, no, no more than what's necessary, although there's, there's some of it that just creeps up. You know, along about the time we had our fourth or five kid, my mother, my mother asked me, Richard, do you know what's causing this? My mama asked me. Yeah, mama, I know, I know. But you know what? She loved every one of her grandkids and wouldn't give a one, wouldn't have given one of them back because she understood they were the blessings of God. Children are in heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. Do I know that passage by heart? Yes, I do. Sure do. Blessed is the man. God's blessings on humanity. First way He described it was the blessedness of reproduction, of marriage, of sexual intimacy within marriage, and all the blessings then that God brings to us in the enjoyment of two people in a committed relationship with each other and with God Almighty. And that's the way this thing works. How do you know that? For the Bible tells me so. Let's stand together, please.